Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to a special Labor Day edition of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. As always, you can find everything over at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash allgas. The new website launching very, very shortly, and some awesome announcements coming down the pipeline very, very soon regarding the future of Destination Devi. And of course, how could we forget the start of the NFL season here in just three days? Chiefs-Lions, Thursday night football. I will be flying to Vegas tomorrow for the FFPC live events. I will be there for a week, so super excited for that. But I wanted to put out this show Um, I have been guilty over the last 10 days or so of just falling behind in terms of answering people's questions. One of the things that I've always prided myself on, uh, even before I created content, is helping people out with their questions. And at this point, there's so many of them, Discord, Slack, GroupMe, Twitter, Dynasty Pandemic, now the Dynasty Trades in 5 app, YouTube comments, TikTok comments, like they're all over the place. There's no way I can get to all of them. But I will be honest, I try. I try to at least acknowledge everybody that has messaged me, even if the question is way too in-depth for me to be able to answer in a couple minutes when I have a break or when I have some downtime. Even if I can't do that, I'll try to give acknowledgement because I was there at one point. I was a dynasty player that had no following, didn't create content. All I was was a player. And I remember messaging people on Twitter, 2014, 2015, 2016. Hey, what do you think of this roster? What do you think of this player? And a lot of the questions were way more basic than they are now. But I remember reaching out, man, I'm grateful for the people that responded to me, that at least acknowledged, even if they didn't really have an answer, that's fine. It's the acknowledgement that a lot of times is what means the world. And that's what Destination Devi is all about. The community, we're gonna have an awesome announcement coming up very soon about community and about how we can consolidate and give people access to get their questions answered. Even if it's not by me every single time, it is by a group of people that are following the same stuff, that are thinking, that are really deeply thinking about dynasty strategy and analysis, and can provide a lot of times the answers that I may give or answers that I may even arrive to after looking at the questions. So that is super important. So in tribute to that, I wanted to go through and hit some of the questions that I haven't gotten to over the last week, 10 days or so. And I'm going to try to make the ones that I'm going to cover on tonight's show actionable to everybody that they can at least think through it. Even if it's not their trade, not players that they have on their roster, they can think through the process. And I'll try to answer these with a much more process-oriented approach 
so you can learn from them or you can get something from it versus just I'm high on this player, not high on this player. There might be some of that, but I wanted to go through and just pay it back, get to some of these questions that I haven't been able to respond to, and also turn it into a podcast. I could have done a preview of things that I'm going to be doing before opening day. I'll save that. That'll probably be something that is covered throughout the season because most of the work, honestly, if you play the way that I play from a portfolio perspective, from a roster construction perspective, a lot of it's already done. A lot of it is set up to now where we're ready for the season, and there's not a lot that I need to do between now and the start of the 2023 year. So I'm going to go through, hit some of these questions, and as always, stay tuned for the important announcement coming very, very soon on the expansion of a really, really cool community at Destination Devi. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and get into the questions. For the sake of anonymity, I am not going to share who asked me these questions. I'm just going to respond to the people that I cover their questions on the show uh, with a comment just saying, see the podcast. I'll put a link in there and make sure you check out the September 4th, 2023 edition of Destination Dynasty. So for the first question, in a 12-team start 11, a heavy rebuild where I have five 2024 firsts. I don't know any other answers or details regarding the format, just 12 teams, start 11, super flex. I have five 24 firsts. Would you give up two of those firsts plus Jahan Dotson for Justin Fields? My current QB room is Trevor Lawrence, Bryce Young, and Junk. And that's what I currently sit with. Obviously looking to be a bad team this year. So clearly this team is trying to tank has five 2024 firsts, and no aspirations to try to contend or win this year. This isn't a backdoor contention where I'm trying to now add a third piece where I think I can maybe make the playoffs and I still preserve three of those firsts. I'm giving up two of my five firsts. I have no clue where they project. We have no details as to where those picks are. I assume they're not the most premium ones, but I also assume they may not be the ones that are obviously the late ones. My experience with these types of deals, people know the picks you have that are really, really good, and they know the picks that you have that look to be really, really late, and they'll try to compromise somewhere in the middle. So that's probably what's going on here. And I give up Jahan Dotson. So I'm giving up two, let's just call them mid slash random 2024 first and Jahan Dotson. So a three for one. Now, is Dotson worth a first? Eh, probably not, but it's probably really close. You can argue he's worth a late first. You can argue in a start 11, he's a more coveted asset than this would be if it was a start nine or a start 10. So basically I'm giving up, let's call it three firsts for Justin Fields. Now I get it. Justin Fields is potentially a BAM tier quarterback. He's very volatile. He's a top eight quarterback in value, but there's also, I think, some risk with Justin Fields in his passing. He could be one where if you could get him for three firsts today, it's a steal a year from now. Could be also one where if you paid three firsts for him, next year you don't feel any more comfortable, and he hurt your team from a draft pick perspective this year, because obviously he could score a lot of points, but he also doesn't retain the same value that you paid right now, and now you're going into a season where Instead of having Jahan Hansen in five firsts, I only have three firsts and Justin Fields. So the way that I look at it is probably is the timing right on this deal. I'm really not getting a super discount on Fields. It's a little bit of a discount, but it's not a ton. This is not a, I cannot care about where my team is or where my assets are allocated. I'm just taking the trade. This isn't one of those situations. This is, I'm probably right up on the margins here. So I'm going to decline this trade. I'm going to sit on my picks. I think the biggest thing that's not measured here 
is one, potentially I need to see what the other team has. This is probably a team that they are either competing with me to try to get to the bottom, right? So if I'm trying to tank and a team is giving me Justin Fields, I wonder if this is a team that is also trying to get to the bottom. And am I helping them get to the bottom and am I hurting myself get to the bottom as well? Unless it was a situation where you do not have your own pick, which I think is unlikely when there's five firsts that I already hold, you're actually hurting your own pick. You may be helping another team that's also trying to get to the bottom, and you're taking on a risky asset at probably 80 to 90% of his cost on the market. So you're taking a lot of risk here. You're losing a lot of flexibility. And the last thing that I will say is, even if the team is not competing with you for the future pick, If they have a really good team, let's say they have a really good team where they have three top 12 quarterbacks, you're now spoon feeding a team that you're going to have to beat next year, the year after. You're spoon feeding them the flexibility that they absolutely covet with this type of deal. So I'm going to go ahead and decline this trade. Really the context coming that I don't care what happens this year. I just have no reason to do this trade. I feel like a similar trade, whether it's Fields or somebody else, will be on the table in the future. So in this case, I'm going to decline Jahan Dotson and 224 first for Justin Fields. And that is that. I'm trying to take my team to the bottom. You already said that was the goal. No reason to stray from that, even though we're really close to the season starting. Next up, this is a 12-team start 8-1QB. Now, you're probably wondering, a 1QB question on Destination Dynasty. Where is this coming from? Listen, it's quite popular. A lot of people play in 1QB leagues. A lot of people play in shallow leagues. Is it my cup of tea? No. But we cover these on Dynasty Trades in 5. We get a lot of questions that are start 8, start 9, 10-team leagues with start 8, start 9, start 10. So not what I would choose to play in, but nonetheless, it's important to be able to analyze any type of deal regardless of the format, regardless of the scoring, regardless of the number of starters, number of roster spots, etc. So this is a 12-team start eight, 1QB, PPR league. I give away Jameer Gibbs and Cam Akers, so trading away two running backs. I receive Devontae Smith and Drake London. Context, my team is trash. My current wide receivers are Kadarius Tony, Darnell Mooney, and Rashad Bateman. Also have Kyler Murray, so I'm shooting for Marvin Harrison Jr. next year. I know Jameer Gibbs is a hammer, but two elite receivers seems like a no-brainer. I would totally agree with you. This is a smash accept trade. You are essentially trading away Jameer Gibbs, who most likely is the most valuable asset in a start eight PPR league just because it is so shallow that having a potential good running back that has some leeway in terms of their expiration date is really, really valuable. This is a start 12. It's really not even close because you can spread out the running back risk across more starters. But in a start eight, I would guess a lot of shallow leagues like this, running backs are really hard to find. And the people that have them tend to probably overvalue even the veterans and vastly overvalue good young running backs like Gibbs. So I can see why this is the price, uh, but you're also trading away Cam Akers, who in a year or two could just be an absolute jag. I mean, historically, I've talked about on the running back usage shows before, he's one of the worst running backs in the league on a per-opportunity basis. He's bottom five in the current NFL. So to be able to get Devontae Smith back for Gibbs, I'd take Gibbs, but straight up, it's pretty close. But then to be able to turn Cam Akers into Drake London, this is a dream trade for a team that is trying to shoot for the future. 
and absolutely love this. Smash accept. Uh, this question was from a week ago, so hopefully you were able to take it and it is still on the table. Uh, if not, hopefully you were able to accept it without getting this response. But yep, smash this trade, even though it's a hammer running back. If you're not contending, no reason not to pivot to the receivers and take your chances because you're getting two really, really good receiver profiles. And really all you're trading away is Gibbs. Next up, we have another 12-team Superflex, half-point tight end premium, so 1.5, start 11. Question is, guy wants my Jerry Judy, and he's offering me Sam Howe and Tank Bigsby. Is that enough, or should I be asking for more? So immediately, I think 12-team, start 11, 1.5 premium, which is irrelevant because there's no tight ends involved in this deal. So really doesn't matter other than how the market changes because of it. Jerry Judy for Tank Bigsby and Sam Howe. So I'll just say this. It's very interesting with a guy like Howell because a lot of people like him. I think he has a market that will continue to mature if he plays okay, just because there were a lot of fans of his prior. And we can sit here and say all day, all night, well, he got fifth round draft capital. Well, Washington could totally change regimes with their new ownership. Like there's no job security in Sam Howell. But what I do know is there are a lot of people that like him. There's a lot of people that have stuck to their priors saying he should have been drafted higher, which means if he's better than what we expect based on his capital, there's going to be fans on the market that are willing to buy in. So right there, given what I know about quarterbacks, and I'll give a shout out to Cody and Chase. They did a podcast over the summer talking about this, where basically even if you were fishing in the low QB2 range in Dynasty, they still almost cost a first to acquire just because you have to buy them from somebody else's roster. Now, sure, there's examples where someone will sell you a quarterback for maybe less than a first, and that's usually because they have excess and they want to trade one and they're looking to liquidate like one for one for a receiver or running back or a tight end, right? But in this case, we don't know that context. So you're able to buy a low-end QB2 probably from a value perspective. We'll see about the production, but you're able to buy a QB without giving up A, a draft pick, without giving up B, any sort of leverage, without C, giving up a asset that is scarce or a positional advantage, right? So you're essentially giving away what's a decent profile, decent production thus far in his career threshold receiver. Now, he's obviously injured right now, so it has hurt his market. I don't know if this deal is still on the table, but you're also getting Tank Bigsby back. I think I could probably turn around and trade Tank Bigsby for a second, at least, maybe a second and a third. So right there, I'm acquiring a quarterback in that range that usually you have to buy with a first or with a premium asset to acquire. You don't just go buy them for two seconds or whatever a trade calculator might say, just because the person that has them is going, well, I kind of have a scarce asset here, so I'm not going to sell a quarterback for less than a first. And that's the case with a lot of QBs. You may go to the team and go, hey, I need a quarterback. Hey, will you sell me Jared Goff? Will you sell me Geno Smith? Will you sell me Derek Carr? Will you sell me Kirk Cousins? And the person that has them is like, yeah, I know they're not worth a first. I don't expect you to give me one, but what are you going to give me that makes me feel like I got something close? And in this case, it's probably Jerry Judy. So then you're tacking on Tank Bigsby, who I can get at least a second for. I'm taking that side all day. I'm trading away from what's likely to be a very low war, very low positional advantage wide receiver, and I'm getting back a quarterback and a running back. And if I don't need the running back, I can liquidate the running back for a second and another one, or for a second and a third, or even for just a second. I can probably liquidate that running back tank Bigsby very easily. So I'm taking that side, Bigsby and Sam Howe, and it's not close. But it's not about the players. It's about the structure of the deal. It's getting the quarterback, doing it without giving up 
a high leverage or high war asset, not giving up a first round pick, and you're getting back the juice with Tank Bigsby. So I love that deal. Hopefully you go ahead and accept it. Next up, we have another 1QB league. This is a 10-team 1QB PPR. So not Superflex, 10-team 1QB PPR. Don't even know the number of starters. And the trade is send DK Metcalf and Najee Harris. Get back Jameer Gibbs and Dalvin Cook. So I already talked about Jameer Gibbs. A league like this, he is by far the most valuable asset. More valuable than Najee Harris, who is a dead zone plotting running back that basically if the volume takes a hit, He's going to be a guy you can replace with a lot of other bodies. So we already know what Najee Harris is. DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf is probably seen as the premier asset in this trade. Uh, Most likely that is the one that people are targeting in this deal or the person that's getting the DK Najee sign. That's the person they're probably low-key targeting just because it is a younger receiver that has produced before. Uh, But in this case, I'm fine going either way on Metcalf. I'm fine calculating him as being... Hey, maybe he's never going to be a wide receiver one, but he probably is what he is, wide receiver 12 to 18. Uh, But here's what we know about a guy like DK. They just drafted a guy with just as good or a better profile than in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And guys that fall into this range typically don't go up. So the T. Higgins, the Devontae Smith, the DK Metcalf, those guys are probably not going up. They're probably just going to stabilize where they are. They're going to be the next version of Terry McLaurin, the next version of DJ Moore. That's where they're going to slot in. Like it or not, that's probably where they end up in a year or two. That doesn't mean they can't produce going forward, but you can probably pencil them in for that exact production and to stay in that range. So in this case, if you really are ready for an asset like Gibbs, this is the type of deal where you can kind of shroud those two pieces that probably don't matter that much, honestly, in a 10-team 1QB league, you get the premier asset back in Gibbs that gives you a little bit of a ramp up for the running back value that you're holding. Hopefully you get really good production right away, but you also have a much more stable asset in a 1QB league, 10-team, where running backs are probably really highly valued at the high end. You have a lot more flexibility with Gibbs, and you're getting Dalvin Cook tacked on top. And truthfully, if you told me when I have to make sit-start decisions, if Dalvin Cook and Najee Harris from a 10-team, 1QB perspective, they're probably going to end up very, very similar with the impact on my team. So I'm taking the Gibbs-Dalvin Cook side. This is one of those cases where it's not a leverage trade. It's not a two-for-one, but it is a deal where basically a two-for-two masked with one team getting the premier asset and all the other three pieces are just replaceable slash, okay, I'll take them if I have them, but I'm really not thinking they're going to produce enough to really give me anything difference-making. And especially if they don't, there's no way the market will be there. Gibbs can give you that, but you also know you now have an asset in Gibbs where you're probably in the striking distance to go get a really elite receiver or a really elite draft pick. If you want to go that route, you now have a key that is going to get you through the first door of the castle. So go get the Gibbs side, DK Metcalf and Najee Harris for Jameer Gibbs and Dalvin Cook. I am taking the Gibbs side all day. Great trade. Go smash. Accept that one. Next up, very simple and straightforward. Sell Clayton Toon for a 24 third. I assume that a Clayton Toon question is going to take place in a super flex league. I don't know any other details, uh, but yes, I am fine selling Clayton Toon for a third. Now, I would normally say, hey, selling a spot start quarterback or even a quarterback that might be able to get a couple starts like Clayton Toon might, 
Selling for a third is probably what you can get during the season. Here's the issue, and I was selling Clayton Toon before the release of Colt McCoy and before the acquisition of Josh Dobbs. I was selling Clayton Toon for fab dollars. I was selling for a third. I was selling for a third and Toon for a second. Really what it was for me is looking at this situation, I just don't see this being one of those situations where anybody even wants to buy the spot start. For instance, rumors are that Josh Dobbs could start early on and Clayton Toon may take over at some point when they want to give him a look. But the worst thing for Clayton Toon would be he starts right away because then it really doesn't surprise anybody that he's starting and a lot of people are not going to need spot starts in week one. They're not going to need them in week three, week four, week five. What you want is there to be a time in the middle of the season where it's now Clayton Toon is starting and maybe he starts and never relinquishes the job. I don't know. But I think the point is, if he starts right away, people are going to sit there and go, you know what? I don't need to trade for him right now. I don't need a spot starter. It's week one. It's week two. It's week three. There's no bye weeks. All my QBs are healthy right now. You can keep that Clayton Toon. And then what's going to happen? Arizona's probably going to stink. The dynasty community is going to realize that the team really isn't that good, that productive. Nobody really wants anybody off this team for fantasy. And at that point, the luster is going to be off for Clayton Toon. I could be wrong. There might be certain formats where people are desperate enough to pay during the season. But I basically just said, you know what? I'm going to sell. If I can get a third, if I can get fab dollars, if I can get out on most of my Clayton Toon shares, I'm just out on the situation. I predict this is going to be very similar. If anyone remembers when the Jets started Luke Falk, when the Giants started Jake Fromm, so bad, like situation being so awful that it's almost below the replacement value to where everybody knows going into the week, if all 32 teams are playing, Clayton Toon is quarterback 32. So like if you're starting him, it's that far down that if you're desperate enough to ever put him in a lineup, you're probably not a team that really needs him in the lineup. You don't even need a quarterback because you probably aren't that good to begin with. So there's just going to be, I think, a squeezed market on Clayton Toon, which is why I'm trying to sell him. So the answer here is I am selling Clayton Toon for a 24 third and just wiping my hands clean of the situation entirely. I would do the same for Josh Dobbs if he's announced the starter for opening week and same process for any starting quarterback for the Cardinals this year. Next up, I got a message that said I was pretty skeptical of your Jonathan Taylor advice video that you put out. This was on Dynasty Trades in 5. And I essentially went through and talked about the running back contracts and why I didn't think he was getting paid and just what this probably means for his future in Dynasty with the Colts. Like, how do we value Jonathan Taylor going forward? And I think it's an interesting scenario, not necessarily for Jonathan Taylor himself, but for the landscape at running back. And here's the unique things about this. This is a guy that the team expected would be playing this year for $4.3 million on the last year of his rookie contract, and he's already making waves saying basically he's not going to do that. Now, whether he's really injured or whether some of the back and forth has just been posturing by both sides, we don't really know. But teams expected, hey, when we draft a running back, especially if they're good, and especially if we get them in the second round, third round, we expect that cheap production for their whole rookie contract. In fact, if we want to then franchise tag them and get an extra year, then fine. But that's not what's happening. He's already going, you know what? I see what you're doing to the other running backs. I see what the running back market's going to be like next year. I'm not risking it. I'm not risking going out there and playing. Now, it's in his right to do it. It's not like he has to show up. Nobody's making you show up to work. 
but it's not something that teams I think expected. Not the fourth year player going into free agency next year. Now, there's a whole back and forth on whether they've actually made a good faith effort to try to give him a contract extension. Sounds like they have not. So I understand why he's doing it. But really, we kind of expected these guys to play through their contract and then maybe dispute the franchise tag like you saw with Barkley and you saw with Josh Jacobs. But not before the rookie contract is over. And I think it's looking like, in my opinion, that Jonathan Taylor probably doesn't help you all that much this year. On that video, I broke down why he's a good running back, but he's not a true difference-making running back from a war perspective or an above-replacement perspective. So that's the first thing, is we already factor him in as being this workhorse, this dominant running back, but he's not. He's a tier below the peak of Barkley and McCaffrey and probably Eckler. Like, he hasn't gotten to that point. He's had one season that's close, but we're talking about if you prorate his numbers and you remove a little bit of his first year where he wasn't being used entirely, we're still not looking at more than 18 PPR points per game. Now, he could he have a massive season where he blows way ahead of that? Yes, but probably unlikely. Given a new quarterback, given a rookie quarterback that's probably going to be a runner, probably going to limit maybe some of the goal line stuff or the check down stuff to Taylor. So you just probably don't see that difference-making season in his repertoire on the Colts as they're currently constructed. And the second thing being, he really just has no leverage. And the question was basically, do you think he plays this year? And so here's my response. So here's what's true about the situation. He requested a trade. It sounds like the Colts granted him permission to seek out a trade. But the compensation they were wanting was nowhere close what teams would be willing to pay. Teams also said they'd be willing to give him a contract extension. Here's the thing. We never really saw the numbers on what that means. And part of that negotiation, we don't know if that meant a contract extension with new money, with new guaranteed money, but also, hey, JT, you got to go out there and play on this $4.3 million this year. That's part of what we're buying. So if you say, hey, he got a two-year $30 million extension, let's say $21 million guaranteed. Really what that is, is it's a three-year contract because you're buying him before his rookie deal is over. So two for 30 with 21 guaranteed basically becomes three for 34, 34 and a half with 25 million guaranteed. Now, would he take that at this point? I don't know, but that's not the blow it out of the water deal that I think some of these guys expect or definitely what it sounds like Jonathan Taylor expected. That's probably right on par, if not a little lower than what we saw all of the running backs get a couple years ago. So it's not going up. It's going down. That's probably the best case scenario for him. And the other thing is because he's in the last year of his rookie contract, his contract will toll if he stays on the pup list. So he needs to pass a physical. He needs to get on the active roster. If he does that, he can get closer to free agency. He needs this year to count whether he plays or not. The requirement is he needs to be on the active roster, the active 53-man roster. So if he can pass a physical, the Colts will have to activate him, and they have to place him on the 53-man roster. Now, if they don't want him out there because he's basically said, you know what, I've given up on the Colts, I'm not playing for the Colts, whatever. They don't have to activate him. He doesn't have to play. He just has to be on the 53-man roster. Now, I'm guessing they're going to say, hey, you need to go out there, and in good faith, you need to give us something. 
You know, you need to go out there and play for us. This is assuming he doesn't get traded. I think there's still going to be a window to trade him. The trade deadline is October 31st, which means they basically have like three, four weeks to trade him when they potentially can activate him off the pup list. They can then trade him. So he does have a window where he can get traded. But in terms of does he play this year? Really, if you have Jonathan Taylor, you probably can't sell him for anything close to what you want. So he's already well below the threshold of what you'd even get from like an 18, 19 point per game running back, right? So that's the first thing. You probably don't want to sell him unless it's just a sweetheart deal where I'm getting back a first and another running back. Same deal that I said to take a month ago. A first in Jamal Williams, a first in Samaj P. Ryan. I'm still doing those deals. There was a reason I was still doing them because I saw this coming. I didn't think this was going to get better before it got worse. And knowing what I know about Jonathan Taylor's production, I'm confident that even if I'm holding the bag and he gets traded to Miami and he's really good, he's not going to be good enough that it loses me my league. And I get a replacement running back, even if it's just a short-term option, and I net a first. So the portfolio slash process player here will take that deal. Do I think he plays this year? He's got to get traded. You want him to get traded? goes somewhere new, gets healthy, he may smash the second half of the year. That's the only way it burns you if you don't have any Jonathan Taylor. And the people that have bought him low or the people that have invested in him in redraft leagues, that's the only way you lose. If he doesn't get traded, if the Colts don't back off what they want for him, I think he just kind of sticks on the roster, maybe plays a little bit, but I just can't be confident in a guy going out there knowing his situation and thinking I'm going to have him leave it all on the field for my fantasy team or for my dynasty team with where he currently stands. In fact, he has no incentive to do that. He just needs to get his contract to move this year so that he can hit free agency next year. And even if the Colts franchise tag him, that's still better than going your deal told and you start over in year four. That's not helping him at all. That's basically just like wasting this year. So that's what you need. You need him to get traded. Otherwise, if he's on the Colts, I think you're just going to be stuck in this purgatory situation where, sure, he's playing, but how hard is he playing? How much is he really going to go? Is he going to go that second, third, fourth effort because he has something to play for? Because we also know there's no reward at the end of the line if he goes out there and smashes and handles a ton of work and scores a lot of points. There's probably not much of a reward above what he could get right now if he can just show he's healthy. In fact, if I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'm showing that I'm 100% for two or three games max, then I'm good. There's no reason for me to risk anything else. I'm still young. I still have a lot of tread on my tires. All I need to do is show that I'm healthy from my ankle injury, and then I'm done. I don't need to play six. I don't need to play more because I know the position is not going to reward me if I do that. And I think that is the biggest thing that we're facing if you have Jonathan Taylor. It's not that he's not going to come back. It's not that he won't have a team. It's that what are you going to actually get from him? And if you're Jim Ursay, listen, he's planted his flag here, right? He's probably saying, I want X amount for Jonathan Taylor in a trade because I don't want it to look like players can just force my hand anytime they want. It's a billion dollar business. These are just moves on a chessboard for these owners. And for them to go, you know what? I'm sick of this guy. He's been whining too much. He wants a deal we're not going to give him. I'm going to appease to him and trade him for less than what I think he's worth just to give him his wish and get rid of the situation. This is a drop in the bucket 
to what it takes to operate an NFL franchise. So I can just see the eagle being way too high for Ursay to go, nope, I want Jalen Waddle. I want a first round pick. I want multiple picks. And of course, nobody's going to do that. So I think now is a team willing to give the extension that is unprecedented in today's game. That's the first thing. And is a team also willing to overpay, let's call it 150% of his market price to buy out Jim Ursay's ego. So essentially a new team, let's say it's Miami or Green Bay, they are buying out the inflated price from both assets. They're buying Jonathan Taylor and his demands, and they're buying him away from Jim Ursay and his inflated expectations. So it's probably just not going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. But I really don't want Jonathan Taylor. Like I said from the beginning, I've been doing a process trade where if I can get out of him for that exact deal... While this is still up in the air, done. Smash accepting that. So great question. The JT situation is one to watch going forward. Uh, and it's fascinating to see how it'll impact the running back market, not just now, but going into the future. Speaking about the future, there's not a lot of it left for you to play underdog. Just a couple days remain for you to enter the preseason tournaments. And if you haven't already signed up, Destination Devi has partnered with underdog. Check it out. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up. Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. Next question. This is one that really, really fires me up, and it's common. So I wanted to cover it. 12-team, 1QB, full PPR, so no premium start eight. So we already know one QB start eight, very shallow, no tight end premium. But to be honest, it really doesn't matter what the tight end premium is. Even 1.75 or two PPR, you can justify some excess, but not to this degree. And here's the question. This is my tight end room. Michael Mayer, Jawan Johnson, Noah Fant, Zach Ertz, Daniel Bellinger. I'm looking to make some roster cuts here to add some extra running backs that make teams who should I cut? How many cuts should I make? Appreciate you do for the community. So this is an interesting question because you see this a lot and it's nothing against the person that has asked this question, but I see this very, very commonly. And it is even if leagues are shallower, even if they're super flex, one QB, whatever it might be, teams carry too many tight ends. Go look at the optimal roster construction for non-tight end premium for 1.5 tight end premium, even for lineup leagues in 1.75 or 2 PPR, there really isn't a reason you would ever carry more than the allotted number of tight ends. And it's usually one, maybe two. Some leagues I've seen 2.5, but really I never want to carry six, seven, eight tight ends. Here we have five, and honestly, none of them probably matter. 
And that's the scary thing, is we have Michael Mayer, Jawan Johnson, Noah Fant, Zach Ertz, Daniel Bellinger. Well, I would already cut Zach Ertz and Daniel Bellinger. You know, start eight, one QB, PPR, they don't matter. They're absolutely useless. I would rather have other players on my team, but more importantly, I'd rather have somebody else pick them up off waivers. And I think that's the biggest thing to look at here. Don't even look at what you're dropping. Look at what you're giving somebody else to waste on their roster. Because if no one else picks him up, then you were probably justified to drop him. But if you drop Zach Ertz and then someone picks him up, that's good on you. That is value to you because someone else is occupying a roster spot with a complete waste of a roster spot. Same with Daniel Bellinger. So the other three, Michael Mayer, Jawan Johnson, Noah Fant. Listen, if you're in this situation, you don't have a top 12 tight end, most likely. Now, could Johnson produce there? Maybe. Fant's produced there three times in his career. So, okay. Could Michael Mayer be there at some point? Sure. But the idea is you're still carrying too many. The optimal here, if you cannot upgrade, would be to liquidate. And I'd be fine going down to one, especially if, guess what? Guys like Zach Ertz or Daniel Bellinger or other tight ends that are similar are on waivers. Because you look at the graph and they're all flat. They're all the same. They don't matter. So who cares if I have Noah Fant or the person I'm forced to pick up off the waiver wire and start? They're so low in terms of impact, they literally do not matter. So right there, that kind of tells you, hey, I probably don't want to carry all three, even though in your mind, you're probably saying, hey, I'd rather have two or three so I can quote unquote platoon. But how good are we really at picking tight end matchups week to week? Can you really look at Mayor Johnson and Fant and spy their matchups and say, I know which one's going to have a top four week? I know which one's going to luck into a touchdown or a broken play. Like, you don't really know that. So we think we can platoon way better than we can actually platoon. So in this case, what I'm doing, especially if I'm trying to contend, it's actually the opposite of what most people would probably do. They would hold on to the three and think they can play matchups. I'm just liquidating them. Who can I trade? It's probably Michael Mayer first. Can I get a second for Michael Mayer? Can I get a second and a third? Can I liquidate a second and mayor for a first? Whatever it might be. Can I upgrade somewhere? Because the strength isn't just in me getting a pick for him. It's getting him off my team. Same with Johnson or Fant. I think those are going to be tougher. You can probably trade Jawan Johnson easier than you can trade Noah Fant. But the same thing applies. My strategy here in a 1QB PPR start eight, I'm never carrying more than two tight ends. Never. Ever. In fact, the only case I would probably ever roster a second one would be if I thought there was future value because what you're actually getting from them production-wise is so low. If you can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to hold on to Jawan Johnson as my starter and Michael Mayer because I'll be able to find a fish later that'll trade for him, that's fine. But you're not sitting there going, I think he can produce. I think he can hit that point that matters in a league like this because it is so unlikely that I don't even really want to make that bet but if I'm making a bet for value then fine but that's it in no world am I rostering ever more than two and a lot of times if it's intentionally two without the want to trade it's probably because I'm hoarding the two top ones and I either just lucked into it or I ended up doing it as a strategy but I'm never intentionally having a tight end room like this So you know what? It happens. You can fix it when it's there, but just know, never let it get to this. And so here's the reason people do this. And you'll look at teams and you'll say, why are you carrying so many tight ends? And it's most of the time because they do not have a macro strategy with their roster. It's probably the same people that are carrying roster clogger receivers that are still holding on to a guy like Rondale Moore in a start eight. 
Like they're not really roster constructing around the most bang for your buck. And that's a lot of times where you have to go, all right, let's adopt the any running back on a 53 strategy, especially if your league isn't playing that way. It has even more viability when there's less people to compete. Let's adopt that. Let's cut some of these players and let's draft and trade and add waiver wire players with this construction in mind, which means you will never, ever go back to the, hey, Zach Ertz is sitting out there. And and here's what happens is in a start eight or start nine, people look at the third string running back on Detroit. So maybe it's Craig Reynolds or maybe it's Zonovan Knight. And they go, that guy's never going to be relevant. He's buried. Right. But a lot of players that are that far down are never going to be relevant because it's a start eight. So right there, your threshold is super, super, super high. But if, if the 1% outcome happened, it's probably going to be a running back in that spot. It's probably going to be that spot starts on a night in week 14 and you go, wow, I didn't think this would happen, but here we are. It's probably never going to be, hey, Noah Fant is a difference maker. So what people do is they go, I don't know who to roster. And they don't really like those running backs because they're buried on the depth chart. It's a, a one QB league, so I'm not going to roster a ton of quarterbacks. And then it's just receivers or tight ends. So people just pick up the name they know. Ooh, Zach Ertz is out there on waivers. Maybe I'll stash him. But the reality is you're probably just wasting a roster spot because even if he produces a week, is it going to be in your lineup? Do you know when the next one's coming? Is it actually hurting you by benching a guy like Jawan Johnson a couple times during the year when you can maybe project like his impact to be higher than all of these guys, but his week to week consistency to be really low? I'm better off just playing him every week. You know what? I invested in Jawan Johnson. Maybe I'll hold one guy as a backup or an emergency if the waiver wire is picked clean. And you see that a lot when people don't roster construct right and six teams are carrying five tight ends. Well, the waiver wire is bare. So it actually gets more efficient as more people get efficient with their roster. You don't have to roster as many because there should be more to pick up. But in this case, by trying to stream or trying to platoon, you're really just wasting a roster spot and you're probably not getting much of an edge at all because there's not a lot of an edge to be had at this spot at tight end anyway. So that's my answer. Cut Daniel Bellinger, cut Zach Ertz, do whatever you can to liquidate from the other three and just have a plan. I'd probably roll with one if waivers is strong, if you feel a little queasy about it, but two. That's the max. That's how I play it in almost any format. It's not just PPR, It's not just 1.5 premium. It's almost any format. The only difference when you get into 1.75 or 2 PPR is the market values are higher. And if the market values are higher, then you can justify rostering more. But if there's no market, which there probably isn't here because we're looking at cutting them, bite the bullet, let it go. Let it go, wish it the best, and don't get back in this situation again where you're rostering too many tight ends. Next up, I got a really cool message with a screenshot of a trade from June 19th, 2023. If everybody remembers the show that I did on Dwayne McBride, Ty Chandler, and the Vikings running backs. And this is a trade that said, sell on good market sentiment and buy when everybody is fearful. This was a great deal. This was a trade where this person sold Dwayne McBride and a 2025 fourth. So it wasn't a leverage deal. They gave away a pick, a 2025 fourth. They got back Devin Singletary and a 2024 third. So if you just think through that deal, yes, it's not a leverage deal. It's a two for two, but we got a 24 third for a 25 fourth, and we got Devin Singletary instead of Dwayne McBride. So that type of deal is literally the definition of grinding the margins. Not quite the two for one. 
It's not the 80-40 deal like I would typically look at with a leverage deal, but you upgraded a pick, obviously one on the player, one for one, so a great trade. And those are the really small things. And you may say, how does a 2024 third over a 2025 fourth help me? How does Dwayne McBride versus Devin Singletary really hurt me? Well, forget about the players. To me, the players are the same. Had Dwayne McBride made the Vikings active roster and he was going to be their third running back or even their second running back, he's the same thing as Devin Singletary. So that's the first thing. The players don't matter here. Even if the players were the wash, you were selling on good market sentiment for McBride, right? He had some draft type. Ah, forget about that he went in the seventh round. I liked him. Mel Kuyper loved him. So let me sell him and get Devin Singletary back. Now, I can't get the leverage. I can't get the third in Singletary for McBride. But I can give up this 25 fourth and I get back a 24 third. Now, all I got was the third. I just got that little bump up. But what do you think I can do with the third now? The next deal might be adding the third to a player and getting a second. It could be buying a spot start or even two spot starts during the season for that third. So there's so many angles where just a small trade, a 1% margin trade like this can be beneficial because it's not just this one trade. It's not the, oh, what is the hit rate on the 24 third? I don't care. If you're waiting to make the pick in the 24 third, you probably messed up the process. So just think about it that way. Don't think about a pick upgrade as neither of those picks matter. So I don't care. If you're going to do that, you have to have a purpose. But here we got the player. We got the better running back. We ended up with the better piece, one for one at the same position. And we got the pick upgrade. And I'm guessing by this type of deal that this manager made, this is probably also the manager that's going, you know what? What can I do with that third? Let's see what I can get with that pick. What can I add that pick to? What can I buy with that pick during the season that has a bigger impact? So great trade. Love seeing receipts like this uh, where somebody says they made this move and they're probably feeling really good about this one at this time. So this next one is a doozy. And the question is again involving Jonathan Taylor. It's titled good process or buying someone else's problem. Here's the trade. I know nothing else about the format other than it's 12 teams, start 10, super flex, no tight end premium. So I'm assuming it's PPR. Don't know if it's point per carry. Don't know the roster sizes. Nothing like that. Don't even have any context on the team. But it's Bijan Robinson, Keenan Allen, and Tyler Lockett for Jonathan Taylor, Tyreek Hill, and Jordan Addison. And they also stated they could substitute Jordan Addison for a 26 first. So I'd prefer Addison to the 26 first. Also getting back Tyreek Hill, and you're getting back Jonathan Taylor. You know what? If I'm sitting in a place where... I really need those three pieces because I think it's going to give me more market flexibility. That is the only way that I'm taking the JT, Tyreek, Jordan, Addison side. Otherwise, I'm sticking with the Bijan side. It's not even that I don't think it's good value because you're throwing in Tyler Lockett. You're throwing in Keenan Allen. Could you get much more for them? This is probably the optimal way to get rid of them is packaging them in a deal like this at the same time. Even though they're risky assets, they're also assets that probably over the next couple months is the only window you can trade them. And guess who might want to trade for them? I don't know, a team like the team with Jonathan Taylor that might need more points. So think about that. Instead of doing the Bijan deal, are they willing just to buy Tyler Lockett? Are they willing to buy Keenan Allen? Are they willing to give that 26 first and maybe a throw-in running back for both players? Like, are they willing to make a deal that gives you flexibility, but you're still keeping Bijan? I really don't want to move Bijan in a package where what I'm getting is Jonathan Taylor, already talked about him, 
Tyreek Hill, who's going to be a 29-year-old wide receiver that has said he's going to retire in two more years after next year. And then Jordan Addison. He's a rookie. He's probably worth a first, probably worth a little bit more. Uh, But I'm good on this. I'm good on actually trying to sell him Allen and Lockett. And maybe those were his targets. I don't really know. Maybe that's who the person originally wanted and then tried to get Bijan worked into the deal in a creative way. It's a good offer. It's a creative offer from the person wanting to get off of Jonathan Taylor. They're looking at Tyreek Hill going, okay, if Tyreek Hill is amazing for three more years, I lost this deal. But if he falters a little bit, maybe he gets hurt, who knows? If one of Keenan Allen or Tyler Lockett, or at least the cumulative of both of them, can produce even 80% of Tyreek Hill, then I won this deal. Because I basically traded Jordan Addison and or first and Jonathan Taylor for Bijan. And I'm not doing that at this point. If I'm going all the way down to JT, that's not what I want if I'm moving off of Bijan Robinson. So I would pass on this deal, but a creative offer. I like seeing creative offers. It's not one where it's just easily no way I'm not doing that. It's not one involving JT where somebody is still trying to get way too much for him, or it's not one where somebody's offering a ridiculously low amount for Taylor either. It's an interesting one where I can see the sex appeal on the offering side to where, you know what, they may consider this, but I guarantee that team, if they get Bijan, Keenan Allen, and Tyler Lockett, they've kind of wiped their hands clean of a lot of the problems, and they probably also like the best asset that they got of the six in the deal. They got by far the best piece with Bijan. So creative offer, but I'm going to pass on that one for now, and I'm keeping the side that I already have. And last question for the show, Uh, there was a lot more I wish I could get to them all, but tried to cover as many as I could that talked a little bit about different concepts and ideas, less so about the players, uh, but more about the context and how I assess the questions. But this one, it says a strange question for you. 12 teams start 10, super flex PPR. Does tearing up to Jamar Chase make sense even in a rebuild? I'd give up Jalen Waddell and Jahan Dotson. Or should I back off doing an anti-leverage trade in a rebuild? Thank you. So with this is interesting because in a 12-team start 10, you know, if you look at the positional advantage and you run like the historic war or warp, you'd go, you know what? It makes sense to tear up to the chase side. If you look at the historical numbers, if you can hit on a top two or three receiver, that's going to be worth it. If you're just giving up essentially what I would call a dead zone receiver or a threshold receiver with Jahan Dotson especially if it's a league where you can't get a first for Jahan Dotson. If you already know that people kind of view him as, yeah, he's just another wide receiver two, wide receiver three, probably not high upside, probably a decent player, or at least I think he's a decent player, but that's it. And I probably can't sucker somebody into giving me a first and that it isn't just a re-roll to the 111 or 112 next year. Your market may say, you know what? You're not losing much going from Waddle to chase by just giving up Dotson. On the contrary, if it's a league where, you know what, I can go out and it's a start 10 and I can trade Jahan Dotson for a first, that's one where if I can do that the way that I play, I probably then go to my tiebreaker, which is going to be my stacks. So do I have Tua? Do I have Joe Burrow? And then my exposure, how high am I exposed on chase and or waddle? Does it make sense to make that kind of pivot? So in this case, I think I can go both ways. I would say that If I had to choose without knowing any of those things, I would take the chase side. But I could also say if I can get a 24 first for Dotson and I can strategically get a 24 first of a team that I look at and go, you know what, that team thinks they're a Jahan Dotson away from being a playoff team. And I'm willing to bet that they're more than a Jahan Dotson away from putting them over the top. And that could end up being the 104, the 105, the 106. 
And if I get that pick, then I feel real comfortable about being able to maneuver that, not just in the draft, but before the draft, especially if this team starts to falter. And I'm also confident knowing I did the wide receiver show earlier this year where I talked about wide receiver usage. I'm not super high on Jahan Dotson, but it's not even him. It's just receivers in this range in a start 10, they're not really moving the needle at all. You can probably replace the Jahan Dotson impact on your team with a receiver that is much less sexy and a little bit lower down on the totem pole, like a Mike Williams, someone like that. If you have Mike Williams versus Jahan Dotson, you can probably look at the impact in a 12-team start 10 PPR and say, you know what, it was very similar. So in that case, I just really don't value him unless I can take him and move him for a strategic bet on a 24 first, where I'm essentially betting that that manager is going to mess it up. So that's the answer to this trade. I don't know that answer. I don't know if you can get a first for Dotson. If you can't, I don't mind moving the deal to get Chase. I don't mind throwing him in. You're not going to miss the Jahan Dotson share. I promise. I think there's a really good case to say he's a solid receiver. But just think about where he has to go to become a difference maker. Think about what it would take for Jahan Dotson to get to Devontae Smith or Amon Ra St. Brown level. And that's probably the range where he has to get to, to where you're comfortably like, I lost this deal. And I just don't want to bet on that. I don't want to bet on his profile. I don't want to bet on what he did as a rookie. I don't want to bet on his situation. Like none of that screams, I'm going to regret moving him. And if that's the tiebreaker and there's no factors here like stacking, Burrow or Tua or exposure, man, I have way too much chase. I don't want to tear off one of my Waddle shares to get chase. Then fine. I'm fine taking the chase side, even in a rebuild, even though it's anti-leverage. Again, go back to what I've talked about with leverage. Leverage isn't a two for one always. Leverage can be the form of basically you have to get the right type of leverage. Just because it says it's a two for one, if I give you two nickels for a dime, that is not a leverage trade. You're not gaining anything. And it's the same with this. If you're really not gaining anything, then it just comes down to your assessment of the players. And if the Dotson market is dead and you can't even flip him for a first, even though if someone drafted Jahan Dotson at the 111 or 112 in last year's draft, he's done nothing to make you say he should go backwards. Yet if your league will not give you a future first for him, then it's probably like, hey, This is the reason not to draft players like that in those ranges and use the picks elsewhere. So I'm fine doing it if there's none of those other factors, but it's a great question because it always comes back to what is the leverage? Tons of people will message me, hey man, I got a great leverage trade and I'll look at the trade and I'll go, yeah man, you gave up a quarter and you got back two dimes. Yeah, you got back two pieces, but where's the leverage? Where is it that you actually got an advantage by having the two pieces? So good food for thought. Great question. Hopefully this helps do the assessment of whether you should take that deal and best of luck with it. And with that, we are done. This concludes the, I guess, Scott mailbag or Scott answering his DMs that he didn't get to over the last week. Uh, But much more to come on Destination Devi. Big announcement coming soon. The goal is to not just be able to do live shows like Destination Chill with Ray. They take trade questions sometimes on the Wake Up Show. On Trades in 5, we do an hour and a half at least every Tuesday night, just literally going through this exercise and breaking down trades. But we want to be able to get to more people. We want to be able to have a community where it's not just myself. It's not just the Destination Devi crew. It's all of us. It's all of us that sit back and just read the chat. It's everybody in Heisman that just sits in the voice chat and listens to Ray and I ramble and ramble 
and they don't say much, but they soak it in. And it's time for a lot of the people that have been around this community for a while to continue to support and build up the community as it is and help each other out. As we continue to grow, we're hoping to build an interactive trade community where people can get answers, but they also can be taught how to do the analysis themselves. And it's not just question after question after question. So stay tuned. Big announcement coming very, very shortly with that as we continue to grow this community. As always, you can find everything at patreon.com slash all gas. And with that, happy Labor Day to everybody. Good luck. Won't be back until after the start of the NFL season. A friendly reminder, Destination Chill will be resuming on September 13th. And during the seasons, we will be going live 8 p.m. Eastern time on the Destination Debbie YouTube channel. So check that out. We're literally just going to kind of be reacting to things that are going on in the NFL and going on in Dynasty week to week. Super excited for the in-season venture of Destination Chill uh, with Ray. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Happy Labor Day again, and be chill, everyone. There's a rumor going down about me and you. Stirring